Hello and welcome to another episode of CBO Speaks. I'm your host, Donna Sheely. Today, we are joined with Dr. Sarah Thorndike. She is the Senior Vice President for Finance and Business Treasurer at the Pennsylvania State University. Welcome and thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Donna. We are so excited to have you. So, Sarah, usually the title doesn't capture all of your responsibilities as a CBO, which I know you have quite a few. So can you tell us your other responsibilities at Penn State? I'm sure it is a a rather complex and um, broad portfolio. Uh, I really love it because it has a nice mix of both operations, uh, business and and finance. My background is is accounting. Um, So here at Penn State, um, I'm responsible for the auxiliaries, for example, uh, food service, housing. We have an airport. Um, uh, print shop. Yes, we've, we've got quite a complex organization. Um, State College is pretty rural. Um, so there are, is a lot of infrastructure um, that we take care of and are responsible for here at the university. Um, of course, I've got areas like finance and internal audit and procurement and many of those um, business functions, risk management, the police um, and public safety. So it's a large portfolio. It is. My goodness. So of all your duties and responsibilities in this climate, where do you feel you spend most of your energy, your main focus? I I think most of my focus is probably strategic because I have a fantastic team who really handles a lot of the transactional operational day-to-day activities. Um, so it's more along the lines of, are, are we trying to figure out how to optimize assets? Are we thinking about creative ways to generate revenues? Are we thinking about new opportunities with, with partners, maybe with the community? Um, are there advisory committees or task force that we're working on? Um, I, I do get involved a little bit in the day to day, you know, if a transaction um, needs, you know, some input, uh, but the team does a great job taking care of those, those nuts and bolts. Now, speaking of a fantastic team um, and working with your faculty, how do you keep the pulse on the needs of your team and your faculty? And, you know, how did they get to be so fantastic? <laughs> well, I, I inherited a great team. So I was, okay. I was very fortunate in that regard. But, you know, I, I think a lot of it is about collaboration and relationships. Um, one of the first things I wanted to do uh, when I arrived at Penn State and and you would think it would be a little more challenging maybe with the pandemic getting out and meeting people, but, but Zoom actually facilitated an opportunity to meet a lot of people online that might have been more difficult to schedule face to face or to get around the campus. Um, and so I really, I, we have a, we have 24 campuses. Oh, so, wow. and, and, um, Many of our campuses have chancellors, so I wanted to meet our chancellors. I wanted to meet all of our deans um, at University Park. I wanted to meet um, and get to know our president's council a bit better. I wanted to get to know our, our faculty senate, um, our staff senators. Um, and so, so, and in addition, all of my direct reports have large teams. We have about 5,000 employees in, in finance and business. So really just getting to know them, reaching out trying to be a bit more human and, and, and a person um, so that you can have those conversations and build trust um, was really important. And so my team has done a good job reaching out and doing that with others across the campus too. 
I mean, and you, you're right. There were some advantages to being on Zoom a lot. We were able to meet a little bit more and, and to see people's faces. And so it, there's some pluses in that. So that's a good thing. So, okay. So how many years have you been in higher education? Yeah. So I've been in higher education about 17 or 18 years. I spent 10 years in private higher education. Um, and then I transitioned um, into public. Uh, and I worked for, for the UNC system at two different campuses, uh, two different universities uh, for about six and a half years. And then I, I came to Penn State last year. I like to, you know, hear people's journey and what led them to be a CBA, CBO. So tell us how you arrived at higher ed. So it's it's a bit of an interesting path. Um, actually, growing up, I wanted to be an astronaut. Oh, wow. <laughs> that, that was my career path. I thought I would go military, engineering. Um, and as I, I got to closer to college, um, that career path didn't didn't go as I expected. And I had to kind of, um, we'll use the word everybody uses now, pivot. Pivot, <laughs> um, yes. And, mm-hmm. and I was exposed to accounting, which I had never really thought of before. And actually, it made a lot of sense to me. I, I, it resonated with me. Um, I, I'll, I'll say I love debits and credits. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> not everybody can say that. No, no um, but, but accounting just made sense. And so I started thinking about what do I want for my next step? I got my accounting degree and I actually went into corporate finance. Um, and I expected, I'm, I'm very career driven. My parents both had very strong work ethics and it instilled that in me. I work a lot. And so I started down the corporate career um, path and thought I would just continue that way. Was working a lot of hours, um, loved my job. And I remember thinking, there's got to be more. I feel like I need to be contributing back. If I'm going to work this hard at something, how do I contribute back in a meaningful way? And literally within a week, um, someone approached me and asked if I would come work at a nonprofit and run their finance and operations. And it wasn't at all what I expected. <laughs> um, and it, and I wasn't sure that it was what I wanted to do, but it really felt like the right answer to wanting to figure out how to give back. So I left corporate finance, went to run this um, nonprofit healthcare facility um, on their finances and operations. And I told them I would give them a two-year commitment because I wanted to go back and get my MBA. So I, I worked during the day, um, got my MBA at night and actually in that two years also started a family at the same time. Wow. Um, and I, and, and then I felt like that's really what I wanted to do. Find a career that I could be passionate about, use my skill set, but give back. Um, and from there I went into higher education. And to me, it was that perfect balance. I mean, I equate it in many regards. It's almost like running a city, right? I mean, you think about it, we've got, lodging and we've got food and, and we've got educational services. And we, we just have, we, in, in this case, we have an airport. Airport. I was <laughs> so, going to say an airport. Wow. So there's, it's just very complex. And I love being in that environment and the day to day is never the same. And higher ed has been that great opportunity for me to feel like I can give back and also feel like I continue to grow every day. And you having that work-life balance. I mean, I may, I'm sure someone's listening saying, how did you do that? But I'm almost thinking your answer is you were passionate about it, right? I mean, that's probably how you kind of balance that out. Yeah. So I, I will readily admit um, 
from the outside looking in, it looks like I don't have the best work-life balance Okay, because I love to work. Um, but a couple things I have learned, work-life balance looks different to everybody, right? And I, and I feel really good when I'm working and I love to work. And I will um, say that I have been very fortunate to be able to do that because of my family. My My husband is the opposite of me. He wanted so much to be home and to raise our children and to spend time with them and to be at all of their events and for that to be his primary focus. Um, and we make a great team that way because he works full time, um, but with some flexibility to go part time when he wants to. He's been working remote from home following my career for the last 15 years. Wow. And I, we've been so fortunate because it's given us a lot of flexibility and that has helped create work-life balance for me. The pieces of the puzzle there that kind of all fit together. So that's great. So, all right. Well, most, what do you think um, for aspiring or novice CBOs, um, what are the most important skills of an aspiring novice CBO uh, to know? And what development resources, is kind of a loaded question, are available to obtain those skills? I would have answered this question very differently when I first started. In higher education, I think I would have focused a lot more on the technical skills. Like it's helpful for a CBO to understand accounting and finance. And that's all true. But I think what I have um, learned is a lot of it is the people skills. Um, understanding that you have to know how to collaborate and partner um, and feel comfortable um, building trust and negotiating, um, building that team. And those are the skills I think that are important for a CBO to, to really cultivate because it's about partnerships. I mean, higher education in a shared governance model, it's very different than what I started in corporate finance where you just make a decision and people do it. Here, we, we make a suggestion and we talk about it for a while and we get buy-in and we partner and we help everybody understand the benefits of it. All of that takes the collaboration, the patience, the partnership. So I think the skills that you can learn that way are important. The other thing I will share is I have my doctorate in higher education leadership. <laughs> I'll readily admit after I got my MBA, I never intended to go back to school. Right. <laughs> um, but it was, it was suggested to me by a CFO I worked for who had his doctorate. And it has made me so much more understanding and appreciative of my colleagues um, that I don't spend day-to-day -day experiences with, whether it's in student affairs or academic affairs, um, understanding the history of higher education. Um, those have all been so valuable to me. So I, I would encourage someone to consider getting their doctorate or some, some degree or learning in higher education because it's been very valuable to me. Other resources I would suggest, um, recently I particularly have enjoyed a, a book called The Ideal Team Player. It kind of really reemphasizes this um, collaboration um, of uh, teamwork and partnerships. You know, there's a focus on emotional intelligence and humility and hunger for your job, all those things that I've been talking about um, as we've spent time together here. And then the last thing I would suggest is we can't forget because it's so important and part of the fabric of what we do is diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so um, there is a fantastic speaker that I was introduced to when I was in the UNC system, um, Justin Jones Fusu, who is an author and a speaker. Um, and he and ha has been a great resource for me as I have tried to figure out how I can help 
um, further DEI in, in the work that we do day to day. All right. Well, let's kind of build upon that. You talk, let's go back to relationship building and you talked a lot about collaboration. Um, talk to me about best practices in relationship building and how do you do that? What do you think are some of the best practices? I think the foundation has to be trust, right? I, I, um, let people know I'm pretty transparent, <laughs> open, honest. Um, I, I want to do it in a kind way, of course, but I want people to feel like they're seeing me in an authentic way and, and, and we can work through then where we disagree or see things from different perspectives. And that's healthy. Um, so, so I really think, um, building a relationship of trust where you can spend time together and feel like you're being supported, even again, not everybody has to see it the same way, but, but really having, um, that support system. I have really appreciated, particularly at Penn State. I have some colleagues here that I value tremendously, um, who are great sounding boards, right? Um, because we deal with complex situations and challenges and having a colleague that you can safely talk to and build a relationship with has, has been so valuable. Um, that relationship with the provost, the CBO and the provost, um, here at Penn State in particular, um, has been wonderful. Um, our areas of expertise cross over in so many ways. What we do, um, professionally, um, touches each other's areas in so many different ways, whether it's financial or operations or in the auxiliaries. Um, and really just being able to help share our experiences in a, in a meaningful way, I think helps us appreciate the lens that somebody else has when they're coming forward with with a problem or a challenge or or a recommendation on how to move forward. Because not everybody has that. So no. that's so fortunate. Yes. I'm very grateful. Yes. So talk to us about some of the lessons that you've learned. You've been doing this for a while. You've been on the corporate, you did private, now state level. So what are some of the major lessons that you learned from the field? Going through the same theme. One of the first things I learned as an accountant, because I tended to think in dollars and cents, very black and white, you know, what are the rules? We have to follow them to the T. Um, it's not always that straightforward. <laughs> and there are lots of things to consider, right? And it goes back to the relationships and 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 risk assessment too. You know, what com- comfort do you have with with different risks? Um always always following the law, of course. I mean, that's 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 a uh a, a given. Um but but there's there's a lot of wiggle room into um how we should do things and how we can help further the university. I also think it's important to think holistically. Um, I think we can tend to think about how does this affect our unit, our department? And I've learned um, what's best for the university. I, I, I'm personally really like the phrase, what blesses one blesses all. And I, and I have seen that happen time and time again. If we're willing to give up a little bit and on our own um, need, and it overall helps the university. Ultimately, it comes back tenfold. Um, and it helps cultivate and build those relationships we were just talking about as well. So, um, so I think some of those, those were learning opportunities for me <laughs> as I grew professionally to understand it's not 
it's not always a very clear black and white. This is the way we should do it because this is what the numbers say we should do. All right. Well, we got to talk about current and future challenges as a CBO and how you meet them. What is, what is your process for that? And what do you see in the future for CBOs? We're in a, a challenging environment. Higher ed is changing. I, I think we need to continue to show the value of a higher education degree. I think it, in some areas it's being questioned because people are worried about student debt or cost of attendance. And so I do think that as a CBO, um, often a CBO is also the CFO. We have to think about cost of attendance and how do we do our part to help make operations as efficient as possible to find creative revenue streams. I think the more we can partner uh, with private public partnerships where we may find a partner who's willing to make the financial investment and in turn, we contribute the people and the facilities and the intellectual knowledge. Um, those are things we can do in a way that's positive for cost of attendance. Access and affordability, I think is really important. And if we're really dedicated to it, it means we have to keep that um, net tuition price as, as reasonable as we can. Social mobility, I think, has so many benefits uh, to students. And so if there are things we can do from an operational perspective to help either generate more revenues or decrease our costs in creative ways, we have a responsibility to do that. Talk to a little bit more about the social mobility of when you that kind of ding when you said that. Can you expound on that a little bit? So I know higher education has um, is the reason I'm in the position I'm in right now, right? I got my bachelor's degree and then I was able to pursue getting my master's and my doctorate. I personally think that we should be able to find ways for everybody to do that if they want to. It doesn't need to be at a research institution. It could be at a community college or even it could be at a technical college. But I'd like to believe that finances are never a barrier for somebody to be able to get the education they need to better their lives and to contribute back to society and to help promote economic uh, development and activities in their own communities, right, in a positive way. And so I truly believe that education is that way for social mobility for um, our citizens and, and those in the Commonwealth to help improve and contribute to society. Um, it may seem a little idealistic, but but I've seen it happen in, in, in practice firsthand. And I think we sometimes can feel a little distanced from students because we're in offices and we're, we're doing a lot of the business side. But when you think about the fact that that business side is really the nuts and bolts of what contributes to our costs, which is what then sets our price, which is then maybe a factor in whether a student can come or not, um, we really help contribute to, to changing lives as it relates to social mobility. I, I'm just so, I have so many questions, but I know I don't want to keep you too long. But I want to talk to you about students and how CBOs need to, you know, keep a pulse on the students' needs as well. How do you do that? So there are many different areas we try to include students in our activities, um, whether it's sustainability, which is just also part of my portfolio, or it's public safety. Um, we include them on advisory committees. Um, we try to meet with them regularly to hear what their concerns are. 
our uh, vice president for student affairs, the provost and myself, we sit down with the students on a regular basis um, from the student government association. I also am personally very passionate about student financial literacy. I did my dissertation on student financial literacy and the connection back to wellness um, and life satisfaction. It changed my life um, as a young adult. And so I think anything we can do to help our students leave with the tools that they need so that they can make well-informed financial decisions after graduation and make good career choices that help them have the lifestyle that they want, I think is really important. So if I can ever have those conversations with students, um, I'm part of um, HEFWA, the Higher Education Financial Wellness Alliance. And so anything that we can do to help our students have those resources and involve them and hear from them about what's important, I think is really um, key. That's great. That is great. I love that financial stability for wellness. I like how you said that. That was really good. Okay. Last thing is mentorship. Um, you know, talk to me about your philosophy on mentorship, some of the mentors that you've had in your life and, and ways you're mentoring others. Yeah. So thanks, Donna, for asking this question, because um, I have been so blessed in my life with mentors all throughout my life, even as a, as a young person. Um, but career-wise, um, I'd like to start by just talking a little bit about the first CFO I worked for. So he introduced me to the book Fish. Um, and it really helped me, again, recultivate some of these um, qualities and, and important items that we've talked about up to this point. The whole principle of FISH is being present with people. That includes colleagues, students, family, being conscious of the attitude we bring to work every day. You know, our thought and our, our, the way we come across to others matters. This is what I really appreciated about Doug. It, it was playing at work and making people's day. You know, we work so hard, right? It doesn't have to be difficult. It can be supporting and building each other up and having it in a fun environment. It was one of the first opportunities I'm learning from him as a mentor that I understood what it really meant to have an effective team. It really felt like a family together. And so I, I learned so much from him. And we, that, that team went through many difficult times together and we did it in a really cohesive way. My second CFO that I had in public higher education, Rick, had a tremendous amount of experience. He's the one that recommended I go back and get my doctorate. I'll forever be grateful. His style was very different than mine, but I learned so much about what I wanted to be as a CBO because of what he taught me. He was a huge advocate for me. He is really the reason I am a CBO, I, I believe in many, many regards, because he um, helped me push myself to, to um, learn some of those harder, harder lessons um, in, in higher education, how to work well with boards, how to work well with leadership, very grateful for what he taught. And then the last thing is I want to put a little plug in for Nakubo's mentor program. Okay. Um, because I participated, I was, I was a Nakubo fellow, which was so helpful. Fantastic program. Anybody who's listening who wants to be a CBO who has not gone through the fellows program, highly, highly recommend it. But as a follow up to the fellows program, I participated in Nakubo's mentor program. And John was a fantastic mentor. Um, when I went through um, the process with him. I was at a university that was going through tremendous leadership transitions. In the three years I was there, we had three chancellors. 
And so there wasn't a lot of continuity on who to talk to or who to have as a sounding board and having a safe person where I could be vulnerable and, and share concerns or ideas or do self-reflection was extremely valuable. And all three of those gentlemen I mentioned to you, I'm still very close to. And, and they've all been, been great supporters of mine. Um, and so I'm just so grateful for, for those mentors. And, and if there are ways that I can give back to others, um, I try to take those opportunities too. Um, even since I've been at Penn State, we have some faculty members who are going through professional development programs and have asked to, to meet with me and I've shared my experiences. Um, and hopefully that's been helpful. So, um, any, any opportunity I can to give back because I've been so blessed by what I've been given, I try to do. Well, shout out to your mentors. They did a fantastic job. I mean, you, I just hear your passion and it's just so exciting talking to you because of that. So that is great. So, you know, I'm, is there anything else you want to talk about? I know, you know, we, we talked about a lot of things, but I want to make sure we covered everything that you wanted to discuss. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I mean, I, I think we've, we've covered it. I mean, I just, I can't over uh, emphasize the need for collaboration and partnership um, with, with our colleagues. I, I just think that goes so far when, when we can work together and, and again, you know, any, anything you can do to promote student financial literacy, I, I am a huge passionate advocate for that too. Well, that's great. Well, listen, thank you so much, Dr. Thorndike, for sharing with us today. We appreciate your time and everything that you've shared and your transparency. You can find out more about Dr. Sarah Thorndike and today's episode by visiting podcasts at nakubo.org under professional development, then click online education. Make sure you subscribe to CBO Speaks on Apple Podcasts so that you can get the latest episodes instantly. And on behalf of Sarah and myself, I want to thank you for joining us for this episode of CBO Speaks. I'm Donna Sheely. Be well. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Susan Wheeler Johnston, President and CEO of the National Association of College and University Business Officers. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of research and tools at nakubo.org. I hope you enjoy the podcast. <music>